Captain's Log, star date 2256.4, Vulcan War Cruiser Tapa. The Federation Klingon War has taken a toll on our vessel. They prefer to send boarding parties to engage in melee combat. Fortunately, the Earthlings have provided us with an ancient tactical film titled Home Alone. <laughs> Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Centurion Corey. How's it going, Corey? Hey there, Clint. Glad to be back here for a second edition of our Weapons Captain's Log. Yes, we're talking about melee weapons today. We might just talk about one weapon, seems how far we go, but I want to talk about... The Batlith, or as I call it, the Badlith. So yeah, let's let's get into it. I so I do want to say though that um, the Batlith, in terms of of what it's made for, it's a fictional weapon made for a television show, and in that context, I think it's actually a really cool item. Um, it looks very alien. It looks really cool. It's got points and stuff everywhere. So I just want to say, in that context, I think. Uh, they did. They did a good job designing it. Wait, hold on. Before you get into whatever you're going to talk about here, uh, do you remember the story about the Batlith and how Kalos Kalos made it? I, I don't really remember it, but I think it might be nice for a little story time here. Wait, hold on. Let me heat up some rocks with this phaser here, and I'm going to sit yep. around and wrap a blanket around myself and just kind of stare up at the sky while you tell okay. this story. So uh, I'm just reading this off of Memory Alpha right now. So according to Klingon mythology. The first Batlith was forged by Kalos the Unforgettable in the 9th century. He cut a lock of his hair and dropped it into lava and twisted twisted it into a blade. After forging the weapon, he used it to fight the tyrant Molar. That's pretty much it, where he just threw his hair into lava and then a sword popped out. So it's kind of like a Lady in the Lake thing, almost. In Klingon, it translates to Sword of Honor. In the first episode, this is the script description of it. It is a semi-circular curved blade that branches to four points. It is about three feet wide. There is a terrible beauty about the blade. The batlith is held by two hands on the mid-exterior of the blade. The batlith can be used as either a shield or a sword. So this is a fun fact. Corey, can you tell me when the Batlith was introduced, like what season or what episode it was introduced. Oh boy. Okay. You know what? I'm going to say it wasn't in the original series because it seems a little too cool to be uh, conjured up in the day when lime green furniture was, you know, the height of fashion. So, you know what? I'm going to guess the animated series just as a wild guess. No, no. It, it was, it was, it was in TNG. Can you tell me what season of TNG it was introduced in? Two? Mm-mm. Three? Four? Five? It's season four. Well, boy, for for something that's, uh, you know, just a cornerstone of Star Trek, it seems like it had been a, a lot earlier, but I think that that's the point you're trying to make here. Yeah, right? It's such an iconic thing. It's introduced in season four, episode 17, The Reunion. This is the episode that Alexander is introduced it blows my mind because it's such an iconic weapon for the Klingons that it's just crazy to think that it was introduced halfway through to TNG. Can I share a little bit of a, a Batleth fun fact? Yeah. This is a story from 2009 in Colorado. A man was arrested for trying to rob 
a 7-Eleven wielding nothing but a Batleth. <laughs> That's so great that you brought that up because I had that actually. I was going to bring that up later. Oh, yeah, you can you can bring it up on your own. You probably did more research than I did. It's it, There's nothing much to say about it other that I think he robbed two stores with a Batleth before he was stopped. I mean, it's a cruel looking weapon. Yeah. And I think we're going to talk about later how it's completely unwieldy mm-hmm. and impractical. You know, I was um, I was watching something about like medieval weapons, and and they were talking about one of the best weapons that you could have with very little training that was still extremely effective was the spear, yes. because the spear has reach, mm-hmm. it can pierce armor, it doesn't require a lot of training to use it. And because you're using both arms, like you can like throw a lot of muscle in behind all of your attacks. You can deflect attacks with it as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, no, the sphere was like a, the workhorse weapon of, of, I would say, early man of like medieval times. Um, the great thing about the sphere, too, is it's very low resource. You get a stick of wood and then you put like a knife at the end of it and you got yourself a sphere. So, no, you're totally right. It's a great weapon. The sphere is a great weapon. That was used a lot and very effectively. And so let's just talk about maybe this is a good time since you brought that up to talk about like weapon design philosophy. So the point of any weapon, like let's say a sphere or like a club or a, or a sword, not so much the sword, is you're trying to emphasize one property of the weapon, right? The sphere, you're trying, it's the, the reach of the weapon. A club is like bashing power. The great thing about a sword is it's a very versatile weapon. It's kind of the the Swiss army knife of, of the medieval world. We'll talk a little bit more about this later, but the Batleth, the problem with the Batleth is it doesn't have like a strategy or an end game that it's, that it's going for. It's just like a cool looking weapon. It, it's to in, instill fear. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of fear being used on the battlefield because if you can get the opposing side shaking in their boots and doubting themselves before the fight even starts, it could replace any other deficiency that your side might already have. Mm -hmm. Like I know that when the Romans were fighting the Germanic tribes, like the Germans would just go out into the winter, just like shirtless and just, you know, just be screaming and, and just like mocking the other side and, and laughing and like tattooing each other while, you know, the other side's just like watching you know behind a wall like oh my god we're gonna have to fight these guys these guys are crazy and the klingons are very good at doing that they're very good at instilling fear into their opponents and there's a great episode of ds9 where a little war is broken out between the federation and the klingons again and they're just sitting there and they're like talking about the klingons and like almost telling ghost stories about how scary and and crazy they are in battle now, we we talked about this a little bit in our last weapons episode, that you don't really see that. I feel like a lot of stuff with the Klingon, it's like, tell, don't show. Like, we're told mm. that they get all, you know, as you said, horny in battle, mm. and that they get this bloodlust, and that they'll do these cruel things. We never actually see that, as far as I can tell. Anytime there's a ton of Klingons all around, they're just being, like, annoying and drunk. Mm. There's nothing, like, gross, really, about them. They're just, like, bickering and are loud. I would love to see more of that stuff on display. Yeah, and I I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode, but they become like a benchmark where every time like a new enemy shows up or someone strong shows up, like they kick a Klingon's ass and you're supposed to be like, oh my God, this guy's serious because they beat a Klingon. But then that kind of lowers the Klingons a lot, right? So they're constantly getting beat and getting their asses kicked by stronger opponents. 
to show how strong those opponents are. So they become a benchmark and they're always getting their butts kicked a lot in, in TNG and, and other places. I think in Enterprise, they're a bit better. Uh, they, they seem a bit scarier because it's just when we're meeting them. So they do kind of puff them up a good amount. I just watched Broken Arrow, mm-hmm. Broken Bow, whatever the name of the first episode of Enterprise yeah. was because I, I had ambitions to get through the first season again. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked the way that they portrayed the Klingons. I liked that they didn't know where their home planet mm-hmm. was, that they didn't know where Kronos was. I liked that they couldn't speak their language mm-hmm. and it just made them so much more savage and mysterious. Yeah, it was great. It was a really great introduction. I really liked that first episode and it's cool. I think the Vulcans are like, you should kill this guy because if you don't kill him, it's gonna he's gonna be dishonored and it's gonna cause a war. So you should, even though he's not dead or He's not dying or you can save him. He's like, just kill him so that you can preserve his honor and you won't get in a war with the Klingons. The Batlith was created. Um, they wanted to give Worf like a cool signature weapon. They wanted just it, it to be almost like just Worf's blade. It was Dan Curry, who's like a special effects producer. He's the one who was kind of credited to designing it. And then Ronald D. Moore, who was the one who wrote the script for Reunion, they kind of all worked on this together. It was kind of like they were trying to take Klingons to more of like a samurai status than them being um, barbarians. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, if I if I was being tasked as a producer for this new TNG series, like, we got to give this guy a cool weapon. Like, the first thing I would have said was, like, spiked brass knuckles for mm-hmm. the Klingons. That'd be so dope, man. Just, yeah. like, before... Before Worf goes down to the planet, he's just like, let me just go get my knuckles. And then he puts them on. And then anytime you see him fighting, like he doesn't even use a phaser. He just you know, charges with bad guys and just pummels them in the face. And everyone's like, what the fuck, Worf? What are you doing? And he just wipes the blood off on his uniform. Because that would be pretty badass. That would be dope. But he never uses the Batleth. Like, that's not something... He just uses it when he's training. Yeah, I mean, you don't ever see him use a Batlith in a combat situation. That's so right. Like, he, he's only using it in, like, a sparring scenario. I don't know... I'm trying to think of DS9, and I just can't really remember him using it, like, you know, if, if someone invades the Enterprise, like, he never grabs his Batlith. <laughs> oh, wait, no, okay, I have a better one. If I was going to give Worf a weapon, and I know this sounds like... Uh, Star Wars a little bit, but I would give him a crossbow. And his thing would would be that he would have a bunch of different toxins that he dips his crossbow in, depending on the situation. And he was he would like I I don't use phasers. That's a Federation weapon. We use the weapons of our ancestors. And then he's there. And we're always talking about how like pistols and knives would be better for a lot of situations mm. in away team missions. He has a crossbow that he like has poison in that turns your liver into soup that'd be that'd be so cool i can think too like he has a little pad so he like programs in like different poisons for different situations you know assimilate this (laughs) all right so dan curry is the special and visual effects team member he says he has a background in martial arts or whatever whatever that means but he said i quote i looked at some of the designs that were proposed and they were wonderful but there was a degree of familiarity about them And I thought to myself, well, you know, it's not really my job to get in people's faces about this, but because I care passionately about martial arts and I have strong feelings for ergonomics of blade weapons, let's have something that we've never seen before. I've been imagining a curved weapon particularly influenced 
by Himalayan weapons like the Kukuri, the wickedly curved knife uh, of the Gajras of Nepal. I was also thinking about the Chinese double axe, Chinese fighting crescent, and the Tai Chi sword. I combined elements of all those things in order to come up with an ergonomically sound weapon. I, I don't see as much as like the Chinese double axe in there. Um, and I think those are more like some of, some of the Chinese weapons. I don't know. I'm not a weapons expert, but some of them I want to say are like more for fun than were actually like weapons that you take out into battle. But if you look up deer horn knives... Okay. Okay. I was just, I was just going to, there's two things I want to say really quick. If you just look at Batleth on Google images and just scroll through every one that fans have made is so much more goddamn cool than the one they came up with on the show. There's some, but I was also thinking, cause I saw the deer one and I was thinking like their ancestors used this weapon, but they didn't know that you were supposed to mount it on your head and charge at the enemy <laughs> with it because it does look like a deer horn. You know, there's, you're supposed to like put it in like a little holster on your mm. forehead. That's why the, or it's like, that's where their foreheads are grooved like that to fit in the, in there. It just, and then they just charge down and just slice through it like a, like a feral elk. <laughs> That'd be pretty great. It kind of looks like their foreheads too. Like it, it almost seems inspired by their own foreheads. You're right. There's a lot of really cool looking ones on here. You know, another thing that occurs to me is you're not far away from just putting a bowstring on them and having them be like a bow and arrow. <laughs> Until you need to get up close and personal, then you can do your stupid bat left dance. That'd be them. interesting. And then you could use the like bowstring as like a garrote if you needed to as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that. Re- okay. This reminds me. I know we're getting off off task a little bit, but I was watching a martial arts video of this dude. It was just posted on Reddit showing how he uses a whip as a martial arts weapon. Oh, uh-huh. And it was so cool he was like i can do literally anything with this i can crack at the speed of sound around my enemy and freak them out i can trip them i can you know tangle up their weapon with this i can keep my distance with them it was it was it was really really neat to even go further off track that do you know the legend of whipman in reno no me and Corey both live in reno listeners but there's a guy they call whipman and he's just a guy who walks around town with like a a homemade whip and so uh i live downtown you can hear him sometimes late at night like two o'clock in the morning whipping you can hear the crack of a whip clint i'm looking uh at the reno gazette journal and according to them whitman died 30 years ago oh my god the legend lives on all right so i think we did a we did a good job of describing it and talking about its origins and and whatnot so okay so let's talk about why the batleth is not a good weapon. So the problem is, is that you kind of like hold it with, it has three handles, but you hold it, the two handles, and then it, it's like a, a Nintendo 64 controller. Yes, exactly. You need a third arm to really wield this thing well. And then what happens is about, I would say it's about like three feet, like from your hands is where the blades protrude. So the problem is, one, it's not very good at transferring force. It's hard for you to strike at someone. If you, you're holding it with both hands, you can either twist it, but you're kind of like getting in your own way, right? You can't, like, it's hard for you to twist it and transfer a lot of force to like stab someone in the neck or something. Or you can like push it, but that's still like a bad, like the great thing about a sword is it, it like doubles the reach of one of your arms. And then it's like super sharp. So you're basically doubling yeah. the reach of your arm and you have the sharp part. It, it's like you're trying to 
box somebody with only like a foot of distance between you and your enemy like you're never going to get enough force to really do any damage exactly um and for you to actually do any damage with it, one, you have to like move your hands. And the problem is, is because there's all these segmented handles, you have to take your hand off the weapon and then reposition it and then get it so you can like do like a chopping swing, like an ax. Like that's the best way to really hurt someone with them. So like the great things about swords and axes are, is the, the fulcrum is at the end of the weapon. You can put more force into it versus the batleth. You don't have like a good leverage or anything like that. Also, it's a double-ended weapon, both at your left and right. So the problem is, is you're not spending your resources for one objective. You're almost not using half the weapon all of the time. When you swing a sword at someone, you're swinging your whole weapon. So like all the resources you put into that, you're you're taking advantage of it when you're using that weapon. But with the batleth, you're not. You're always using half of it. So my theory is that batlists were made to be bad weapons the the klingons are like a warrior race and they pride themselves on like being good in battle and like they like making it harder for themselves so they decided that they don't care i mean they want to win battles but they want to they also like want to do it in an interesting way and they want to handicap themselves to show that even with a handicap they're such good warriors that they could overcome it what I was thinking was, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a earth analog or equivalent to this, where you have people that are really good at something, but they use something that is non-lethal, I guess like fencing, but also cumbersome and, and unwieldy. And the point of it isn't to um, kill anybody. The point of it is to become good at something that, that is unwieldy and you only fight you only use a batleth to fight other people with batleths and it's like its own little sport like if you're training to like use the shock put you're never going to use that offensively I, I guess you could but it's so impractical but you do use it like in competition with other people to see who can do that particular skill the best or pole vaulting i can kind of see batleth being the same thing where it's, it's heavy it's unwieldy but you have the same handicap that the other person has Mm -hmm. It's just weird because it's it can be used as either a short a sword or a shield and it like makes sense as a more defensive weapon which just doesn't go very well along with the way Klingons act. Do you think they would prefer weapons that are more offensive versus being being used for defensive reasons? But I think one defense of it is it sounds like it's really fun to use in DS9 Terry Farwell who plays Jedzia Dax. Uh, she had to do a, a lot of Batleth play or, or a little bit in certain things because her character liked Klingon culture and she learned how to use a Batleth. Um, and that actress said that she trained with it and it was a lot of fun to use. The same way with the actor who played uh, Quark, Armin Shimmerman. He had to train with the Batleth for a little bit while for an episode, and he said it was a lot of fun to use too. So maybe it's just a really fun weapon to use and, and play with. You know how most LARPing is done with fantasy weapons and like a fantasy theme? Do you think there's any like like LARPing done in a more like either Star Trek or Star Wars or futuristic sense where like there's a rule set? Like, have you heard of anything like that before? It's not you're, it's not like just you're playing pretend like it's like LARPing where there's a structure to it. I could definitely see and I bet if we search this or tried to find it, I bet there are like Batleth clubs 
No, I mean LARPing. I mean LARPing where there is, you are out in the woods with adults for 48 hours and everyone has their foam batleths and their foam phasers and you guys are just, uh, (laughs) just going to town with each other where no one from society can watch you. (laughs) I bet there is. I bet there's some sort of LARPing out there. I know here in, in Reno, there's like a weapons, there's like a medieval weapons club where it's like more of an exercise and fun thing where they meet up every, every week and they fight each other with wooden swords or different swords. They kind of learn how different swords work. So it's like an exercise and fun thing to do. So I bet there's some sort of club out there where you go and you guys just fight with bat lists and have fun. And there's, yeah, there's probably some sort of LARPing out there where people are out there, you know, fighting with their, their, their bat lists. I guess one problem with doing a, a Slarp, as I'm going to call it, a Star Trek live action role playing <laughs> game, is that like there's no magic, and that's that's good for people that aren't really good at using a weapon, as they can just cast a spell, you know. But you can't really mm-hmm. do that. And so I guess you could do that with a phaser, but I don't even know. That'd be a, that'd be a stupid thing to bring. <laughs> We're getting outside my like core competencies, but I think in LARPing, I think you like throw a tennis ball at someone, and if oh god, I couldn't. I'm not going to be. Like... A, I'm not going to be a spellcaster then. I can't, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> I feel like I've seen videos of people like, oh, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. And all, throwing, I would make sure that all of my people. spells had like a crazy area of effect. Like <laughs> the area of effect on where the tennis ball lands is um, 30 feet. So <laughs> you're barely within range. That's great. <laughs> it's like a grenade spell. <laughs> If I was going to do a Star Trek live action role playing game, I would want to be like a um a Ferengi. What are the old Ferengi called? What's that old dude name? What? The Grand Oh, the the I, Grand Nagus. Yeah, the Grand Nagus. Yeah. And just kind of like sit there um under uh like a tarp and just cackle as people bring me <laughs> treasures and and gifts and try and curry favor with me like I'd be the Ferengi faction. And we're all about just like selling secrets with each other. And that way I don't have to throw any tennis balls or use a stupid batleth. Yeah. <laughs> That'd actually be really, a really fun, a like live action. I mean, a, a LARP for Star Trek. And you could just, it could be laser tag. Right? Dude, yeah, that's a good be... idea. That's a very yeah, good idea. And so you guys have like phasers and different stuff. And then maybe someone are Klingons, they've got batleths. Um, and maybe you have like better armor so like you can take more hits from phasers but that actually sounds really fun like going out into like the desert and doing like really far away from other people clint i'm talking really far and there could be people that's like on your ship when you go down and then at any moment they can yell teleport and they have to do like a like a, a line maze really quick to solve that, to teleport you up. Um, and then the second they do that, you're just immune to damage and then you can walk off the battlefield. Yeah, you like hold up like a green flag or a blue flag to be like, I'm teleporting. And then you guys each ha- all have your little camps. That's your um, that's your ship. And like <laughs> you could set up a camera system or something that everyone has access to. Maybe we should start our own Star Trek LARP. This is sounding like a lot of fun. I don't know how we would uh, PVC out a batlet though, because it has to be like curved and like, listen, it's going to be a sharp piece of plastic. There's nothing I can do about that. What am I going to make, make this out of rubber? It's just going to look stupid and be floppy. Yeah, we're, we're going to lose a couple eyes in this LARPing, but I think it's worth it.
Well, that's pretty much all I had to say about the Batleth. Is there anything that you thought of or wanted to talk about? Oh, I'm just thinking about this Star Trek live-action role-playing game that we're uh, slowly developing here. And there could be, like, a central area that's just, like, called 10 Forward. And it could be kind of cool. Like, you could get some people to just be a camp cook. And they're like, this is... My my girlfriend or boyfriend is just a complete nerd, but I said I'd come out here. And their job is they hang out inside of, like, a refrigerator box. And then when you want to order something, you go up to the... Um, <laughs> what's the thing called that makes food the replicator yeah you go up it just says like replicator like scrawled out on top of the box and you're like could i please have some craft macaroni and cheese and then the person <laughs> inside just sighs and just beep boop up and then their their hand just pokes out through a little slot and they hand it to you and you're like thank you and they go to be like it appearing in thin air that'd be great all right, so our next captain's log is going to be us planning out all the rules for a, a Star Trek LARP. Stlarp. Starp. Stlarp. Well, Clint, I think you did a bang-up job oh, thanks. schooling me on the, the bat lift. As you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time, so it's good to get this out. It's literally like whenever I text you goodnight, you just respond with a picture of the bat lift. So I'm glad you got this out of your system. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks for indulging me, Corey. No all problem. right, well... Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And until we see you next time, keep on trekking.